Do you know what the term emotional abuse means? It is a loaded term. It is a bucket full of bad behavior and all kinds of subtle manipulation and control. And uh, it really takes a toll on the person on the receiving end of it. And I hope that's not you. But if you want to learn more about it, head over to my other podcast, Love and Abuse, over at loveandabuse.com. Life presents the toughest challenges. Every day you are faced with decisions that test your ability to express who you really want to be in this world. We're told to keep saying affirmations and keep thinking positively, but what do you do when that stuff doesn't work? Welcome to the Overwhelmed Brain, where you'll learn to make decisions that are right for you so that you can create the life you want now. Hey, this is Paul Coliani, and I want to help you increase your emotional intelligence, handle toxic situations with grace and ease, and give you the tools to show up as your authentic self. This show consists of my personal opinions and is meant for informational purposes only. Well, let's make this episode a grab bag episode where I read as many emails as I can and answer them as fast as I can. I think that's fun sometimes. We don't have to dive so deep in a subject every single time we have this show, but it is nice to maybe get some quick thoughts or quick insights on something that uh, somebody wrote. And because I have hundreds of emails in my inbox, I sometimes have to do this. But let us get to the first one really quick here. This person wrote, I'm having a hard time with something or a lot right now. My marriage is dead. I'm still living with my husband and our kids. I've been struggling with the end of my marriage for a few years now, not wanting to accept it, not wanting to split up our things or figure out how to arrange the care for the kids, not wanting to be alone. But he also moves around for his career and, uh, of course, COVID on top of all of it. My therapist thinks I need to figure out why I continue to hope for my marriage when it's clearly dead. My husband wants nothing to do with the marriage, but hasn't filed and hasn't left the house. We don't sleep together, and he now has a girlfriend. She's out of town right now, so he doesn't see her, and he blames me for everything. I know it isn't all my fault. In fact, his decision to have an affair is totally on him, not my fault. The demise of our marriage is partly my fault, but I've recently discovered why I was so unaware of the slow demise because of childhood emotional neglect. I didn't understand my feelings, and since I couldn't identify them or even acknowledge them, I couldn't identify or acknowledge them uh, from his either, uh, from his perspective maybe. Just push any negative feelings to the side and keep swimming. That was always my norm. A few years ago, I fell apart. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't eat. I um, had a few months of therapy, and I was dropping weight, and I got on medication. I also found podcasts, including yours. I wrote to you around that time letting you know how much I appreciate the show, and uh, you helped me sleep on those anxious, sleepless nights. I was gone from the house with the kids for a while, then I came back in hopes to work on the marriage. But for the last few months, I've been the only one trying. I need to figure out my path, my next steps, and whether I want to follow his cheating, lying, jerk self around the country for his career. I want what's best for my kids, and my therapist asked me to dig deep, and I just really struggle with how to figure out this stuff. 
How do I find the root of why I'm not leaving him after all I've been through? Outside of finances, hope, and fear of the unknown. Help. (laughs) Yes, thank you so much for sharing that. This message is old, so I don't know if you're still in the same situation. Uh, I hope not because you don't sound happy. You don't sound happy at all. And um, this is the test that I do on my own relationships. When I'm in a relationship, I ask myself one question. Well, many questions, but this one question, if I think the relationship's going to last, I base my next steps on this one question. The one question is, am I happy with this person the majority of the time? That's my question to you. Are you happy with this person the majority of the time? I think I know your answer, but I wanted to ask because this is my decision maker. There's nothing else that I need to decide. I just ask myself, am I happy the majority of the time? Because if I'm not, if the answer is no, then the relationship doesn't work for me. Then I take the next step. The next step doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to leave, but the next step might be I talk to whoever I'm with. I talk to them and I say, look, this isn't working. What's happening between us isn't working. I mean, I use these words, but whatever's going on in our life, hey, this isn't working. We fight all the time or uh, you never look at me, you never want to kiss, you never want to have sex, whatever it is. Let's talk about this. This is where we speak the hard truths. We open the line of communication and we're just honest because what is there to lose? If I'm unhappy the majority of the time, then there's nothing more to lose. So I'm going to open up the line of communication and have a real conversation. That's all you need to do. There's no how to do anything. There's no how to dig deep. You just ask yourself, am I happy with this person the majority of the time? Now you might be saying, okay, let's just say I say no. I'm not happy the majority of the time. That doesn't get me to the root of why I'm not happy the majority of the time. My answer to that is, who cares? (laughs) I mean, I'm not going to go up against your therapist. That's not my point. My point is, when you can't figure it out, just make a decision. And you make a decision based on how you feel now. How do you think and feel today? Today, for the majority of the time I'm with this person, I'm not happy. Therefore, I'm going to make a decision based on how I feel today because today is all I have. Now, of course, there might be some root issues. You might have some, like you said, childhood neglect and you had to work through that or you still have to work through that. But that really doesn't come into play when you have somebody else that's not even trying in the relationship and you are. If you had neglect as a child and it became a problem or a challenge in your relationship today, yes, that could have twisted things around. That could have caused your husband to think that he was being neglected by you or you were being neglected by him. There's all kinds of things, but that still should have been a cause for open, honest communication instead of one person just going off and doing whatever they want to do, your husband finding a girlfriend and 
not really being in the marriage, even though you're still married, it could have been the impetus that caused that. But I would hope that a couple would have a conversation before that ever happened. And what I mean by that is there are couples that maybe will live as roommates and that'll be fine. Maybe they'll be okay with that. But it doesn't sound like you're okay with that. So, you know, you look at what your toleration level is and you draw a line. My toleration point is here. This is my line. It sounds like your toleration point has been raised over the years. Well, I will tolerate more this year. Oh, now he's doing this. I will tolerate even more. If you never stop that toleration point and you always raise the bar or lower the standards every single month or year, then you never catch up. You never get to a decision-making point. And if you never get to a decision-making point, you're always in limbo. So here you are, month after month after year after year, going through the paces, wondering why you haven't made a decision yet. It's because you have chosen to change the criteria every time something new happens. Your criteria before he had a girlfriend was probably, we're going to be faithful to each other. Then when he got a girlfriend, you said, okay, one of us will be faithful and the other person won't. I'm not saying you said that, and I'm not saying you agree with that. I'm just saying that there's a part of you that's doing that. You're creating a higher level of toleration. And we can do this in almost any area of life. I used to do this when I worked at different careers in my life. I would tolerate more and I would tolerate more. Oh, you're going you're gonna to give me more work and I'm on salary and I have to work more hours and uh, I will get paid less essentially because now I'm working 10 or 12 hours a day on an eight hour a day salary. That sounds like fun. I guess I'll just raise my toleration level and not complain about it. That's how I used to be. I used to not complain. I used to just take it and keep going and be the people pleaser, be the person that people could steamroll over and just be happy I had a job. And I'm not saying that you should or shouldn't do what I do. I'm just saying that there came a point where I realized I kept becoming more tolerant of um, things and behaviors I didn't like, so I changed it and made a, made a stopping point. When you make a stopping point, you say, if this happens, it will be time. The time will be up. This will be the end. This will be the day of accountability, where I walk in their office and say, you can't hand me any more work because I can't continue adding more hours to my day. Or in your case, you have a girlfriend that is against the relationship boundaries, that is against my values, this is cheating on the relationship, so you either get rid of the girlfriend and we can work on our relationship, or I'm getting out of your life because this isn't part of what I consider to be a marriage. In fact, you don't consider this to be a marriage either because if I had cheated on you, you'd have a problem with it. Maybe you wouldn't have a problem now, but here we are and you're doing it. So I'm drawing the line and letting you know this is unacceptable. 
And he may say, well, you know, that's your problem. You, you have a problem with it. You just have to deal with it or you have to leave. That may be it. And this is something I just talked about over at loveandabuse.com. There's a point where you have to take action, even if you don't know if it's the right thing to do. But you qualify what the best decision is by coming up with the answer to the question, am I happy with this person the majority of the time? If the answer is no, then you either talk about it or take the next step to move on. And you might think, well, I'm afraid or I have to you know, work things out. I have to plan things. Then you do it. You start the process. You either have to talk about it or you start planning things, but you just do it. You start to take steps. Let me tell you, one of the biggest mistakes that people make, especially in the entrepreneurial world, there are entrepreneurs out there that want to go out and start their own business, so they prepare and they design the website and they create the logo and they create the slogan or the motto or whatever it is, and they keep working on stuff and trying to perfect it, but they never start. They never take the big leap and just do something as imperfect as it is now. If I wait for something to be perfect before I put it out, it never gets put out because it's never perfect. And when people start and they just do something, then they know the next step. If you do something, if you make a decision and follow that path, the next step will reveal itself. This is something I learned when I started uh, my business when I started my coaching practice back in early or late 2000s I just started I just opened a practice made my mistakes had some failures had some successes and then I closed the practice because it turned out it wasn't a good time for me I wasn't ready and then I reopened it a couple years later and then I was ready but I never would have found out had I not started had I not done something this is why in a relationship or in a job situation or whatever your situation is, when you make the decision and take the steps toward that decision and based on that decision, you get to find out what the next step is. Now, the next step might be telling you that you made the wrong decision. And that's going to happen. You make the wrong decision and then you make another decision okay, that was the wrong decision, so I'm going to go back here and do something else. Now, for you, you might say, what if I leave the house and that's the wrong decision and I want to go back? Well, if it's the wrong decision, then both of you will be in agreement that you should come back. Because when it comes to a relationship, both of you kind of have to be in agreement in order for things to work out for both of you. So if it's the wrong decision for you, then it will also be known to the other person because the relationship may work out after all. But sometimes you have to make a decision in order for everyone to find out where they are with things. This is something else I talk about over at Love and Abuse. When the person experiencing emotional abuse finally leaves the relationship, if they've tried everything, at that point at least half the relationships I hear about, the person who's being emotionally abusive finally stops. They finally say, oh, so there's accountability for being this way. I better stop doing that. 
And at that point, the other person's already on their way out the door because they've had enough. And the person who was doing the bad behavior, uh, they stop and they realize that they need to change. They need to figure things out, hopefully. Not everyone does. Some of them stay the same and they don't care or they just, they're selfish. But there are people that when someone makes the decision to do something, other people finally get it because a decision has been made. And so this really tells me, this person who wrote, it really tells me that what you're not doing is just making the decision. And you're afraid of making the decision because you're not sure what is the right decision. I just gave you the criteria for me. The criteria is, am I happy the majority of the time? Because if I'm not, then I make the decision. And the decision might be having a real conversation that, who knows, leads to a breakup or leads to making up. But either way, I make the choice and I follow through. So I would venture to guess that you probably are afraid to make a decision because you're not sure exactly how things are going to work out. I would also say that you feel the same way if you stayed or left. I mean, you don't know how things are going to work out either way. This is why it's important to make a decision. Make a decision. Either have the conversation and wherever that goes, it goes. But be final in your conversation. By telling your husband, if you don't stop seeing this girl, I'm leaving. It's a matter of being clear so that everything is on the table and everyone's on the same page. When you are clear, things will shift. Things do change. Then you get to find out exactly what happens next. Because this is one of those situations that no matter which path you take, you don't know the outcome. Except the only difference is you pretty much know the outcome if you do nothing. Nothing means probably stagnation and being in this rut that you're in now. So it is a matter of taking the step. I told you, or at least I said on this show before, uh, the first step I took after my back surgery. I had a week in the hospital after some back surgery, and I was looking up four flights of stairs in order to get back into the condo we lived in in Oregon. So I'm looking up these stairs. The first time I've taken a step up a stair after my back surgery, just got out of the hospital, and then it begins to rain, (laughs) and I'm staring up these stairs knowing I'm never going to make it, but I can't stand there. I can't let the rain come and soak me, and I was married at the time, so my wife was right there supporting me no matter how long it took, but there I stood, and if I stayed, I'd get wet, and I wouldn't go anywhere. And I also knew that if I took a step, it could hurt. And it is stepping into my fear. But I knew I had to make a decision. And I knew if I stayed, I'd be in that rut. And I knew if I took the first step, that it would reveal the next step. And I did. I took the first step. It was scary. It didn't hurt. (laughs) I was fortunate it didn't hurt. But I took that first step. And what do you know, the second step was right there. So I took that one too. And I took the third one and I took the fourth one. And every step I took, the next step revealed itself. And 
it's a great analogy for what happens in life when you make a decision, when you take the first step, the next step reveals itself. And yes, I did make it all the way. It took a while, but I made it all the way up and I was grateful to get into bed. <laughs> I was done. But this is the same thing for you. The person who wrote, thank you so much for sharing all this. This is my advice to you. Yes, there's a lot that you need to work on probably inside of you. If you have some healing to do regarding that neglect, you know, this is where therapy comes in. This is where my show comes in. This is where all the work inside you comes in. And uh, certainly use all those resources to look for that and figure out how to heal that. And I talk about self-parenting and getting in touch with your inner child and other episodes. So, you know, look that up over at my website, The Overwhelmed Brain. But when you make a decision, the steps will reveal themselves. This is what I think you need to do next is just to make a decision. Stop focusing so much on what you're focusing on now as far as, you know, looking for the origin or trying to heal the origin or trying to figure out why you can't make a decision and just make a decision. And yes, you might be wrong. I even have episodes on decision making. You might be wrong. But remember the criteria. What is your criteria? Mine is, am I happy the majority of the time? And if I'm not, that's when I make the next step. If you are, then you didn't need to listen to this episode. I hope you figure this out. Thank you so much for sharing this with me. And I wish you much strength and healing through this. We'll be right back after this. So Uprising told me that the food system, our current food system, is broken. And we need a food revolution. I can't agree with that more. I was brought up on cheap white bread, mac and cheese, chips and soda. My favorite meal was fried foods and my go-to snack was something with a ton of sugar and flour. And it's no wonder I was tired all the time and I had blood sugar problems and I'd get exhausted on a couple flights of stairs. That did change because I finally realized we're a product of what we eat. When I met my girlfriend, she didn't buy all the processed food that I used to buy. So it really helped me change my um, eating habits and show me healthier foods to ingest. And that really shifted my life in a better direction. But I still wanted the staple foods that I was used to. I still wanted the bread and the chips and French toast and pizza and bagels. Everything that used to give me comfort. I wanted those things, but without their empty calories and some, to be honest, completely useless ingredients. This is where Uprising comes in. Uprising products are baked with real superfood ingredients such as almonds, MCT oil, apple cider vinegar, egg whites, and olive oil. They've even made prebiotic fiber a delicious thing to eat. I don't know if you've ever tried that, <laughs> but it's not that good. But they've done it. And if you don't know what any of that means, let's just say it just makes it easier for all of us for digestion. Another thing Uprising does right is taste. I don't know. I've tasted way too many bland, healthy foods that made me want to quit eating healthy. But Uprising nails the taste factor with both their sourdough-esque cubes and the crunch factor on their newly launched Freedom Chips. If you like those old-school rye chips like my girlfriend does, 
You're going to love these super filling superfood chips by Uprising. I want you to give Uprising a try today. In fact, they're offering listeners of this show 10 bucks off the starter bundle and includes two superfood cubes and a four pack of freedom chips to try. Go to uprisingfood.com forward slash brain. That's uprising, U P R I S I N G, food.com forward slash brain. And the discount will be automatically applied at checkout. Uprisingfood.com forward slash brain. Get 10 bucks off your first purchase of the Uprising Starter Bundle and give your palate something good and healthy that just makes sense. You're going to love it. And speaking of good and healthy, not only am I a fan of better food, I'm also a fan of better help. BetterHelp is the service that allows you to talk to professional counselors and therapists through their service at BetterHelp.com. And one of the sponsors on this episode today is BetterHelp, so we're so glad that they sponsor this show. And I am always delighted to tell you about them because I've heard from so many people that have used them and have given me such good feedback about them. I mean, life is full of stressors. It doesn't matter who you are or what you have. Your life is probably stressful in some way, at least some area of it. And BetterHelp allows you to speak to a licensed professional therapist or counselor through video, through chat, through phone, through their messaging system. And you can start talking to someone to help you out within 24 hours of signing up. They are committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. And that's huge. I mean, if you don't think you're a good fit with the current counselor, you can get a new one. That's what the service does. It helps you find the right fit and it gets you into a place that you can start to feel better. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. They deal with anything from depression, stress, anxiety, trauma, anger, family conflicts, LGBT matters. The list goes on and I want you to start living a happier life today. And as a listener of this show, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com forward slash brain. That's the word better and the word help, H-E-L-P.com forward slash brain. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. Again, betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com forward slash brain. Get 10% off your first month today. Welcome back. This next question is about being a victim or having a victim mentality. I had an episode a while back, many years ago from this recording, called Dealing with the Victim Mentality. And uh, for those of you that aren't familiar with what victim mentality means, good for you. (laughs) But if you aren't familiar with it, I will tell you that it's basically a place where someone complains a lot and usually about the same things. I'm not putting anyone down for that. I'm just saying there are people like that. There are people that complain a lot and will typically complain about the same things over and over again. Now this doesn't mean that if you come home from work and you vent about that stupid coworker or your stupid boss or something frustrated you and you just want to get it off your chest when you get it off your chest, if you're able to release it, that pent-up negative emotional energy, when you are venting, hopefully it's also releasing. 
So if you're releasing the pent-up energy when you, quote, complain or vent or express yourself because of something that bothers you, and you're able to let it go and move on to the next subject, maybe another complaint, maybe something that you feel grateful for, maybe you just want to sit down and watch TV or read a book, whatever it is, if you can move on from it, then you're probably not a chronic complainer. You're probably not, you you probably don't have a victim mentality. So that's not what I'm referring to because I vent. (laughs) I have times where I need to express myself in a way that sounds like I'm complaining. Not that I'm the role model here or the perfect person. I'm just saying I teach about this stuff all the time. I teach about how to express yourself, how to avoid toxic relationships, how to honor yourself, how to create boundaries and have values and be in alignment with those values. I, I teach all that stuff. And I go through what all humans go through, which is the wide range of emotions. I mean, not everyone shows their emotions, but I don't mind showing my emotions. I don't mind expressing them. In fact, I found it quite therapeutic to express emotions. And sometimes you have to. Sometimes you'll do something with your best friend and you love your best friend. And then you come home and you tell someone else you love that your best friend ticked you off. It can happen. We can all be ticked off, upset, uh, rubbed the wrong way. We can feel certain negative things about anyone at any time for any reason at all, and we just need to get it off our chest. And I think this is a good thing. I think it's okay. And I know people that won't say anything bad about anyone, and I don't think That's necessarily a good thing unless they are able to let it go. So there's my caveat. It's okay to not say anything bad about anyone as long as it's not building up negative energy inside of you. And all I mean by that is when you think about something that did upset you at the time, when you think about it now, does it still upset you? Does it uh, bother you? Do you feel victim to it? That's part of it as well. But if it upsets you, then you haven't let it go. It hasn't released. And this is what worries me about people who don't like to say anything bad about anyone. And I'm not talking about gossip. I'm not talking about when you're gossiping with somebody and say, Oh, did you hear what happened to Michael and Joan? And they're in this terrible situation and their kid did this and now she's pregnant again and I'm not talking about that that is gossip but you know gossip's fun too sometimes (laughs) but it's not what I'm talking about here it's not the victim mentality I'm talking about the victim mentality is when you actually are complaining and uh, you make it dramatic sometimes or somebody else that you know does this they make it dramatic they're complaining and quite often it happens over and over again. Or they're just complaining all the time. There's There are people that complain all the time. There are a number of reasons for that. There are a number of reasons that somebody might complain all the time. Uh, I like to look at something that causes them to be angry or be upset that they haven't resolved. And so they find things to complain about. There are people out there that 
have these unresolved negative emotions either from something that happened in the past in their childhood or in their upbringing or in their relationship some other relationship they've had and it still bothers them and they still haven't found closure an important aspect of this is that when you can't find closure some people will just continue to complain about everything and um, there's a somebody I know right now that's in a very difficult relationship and he complains about everything of course you know it's an exaggeration he doesn't complain 100% of the time we have very pleasant conversations quite a bit uh, but there are just certain things that he complains about that he's very adamant about and he maybe even gets angry about and that's probably something unresolved in him there's something going on that hasn't found a resolution because let's just say that um, he had an argument with somebody and it was never resolved and he's been mad about it ever since you can compartmentalize that and when you think about that person you might get angry again and have anger about that subject but does the anger seep into any other subject in your life if not then I think that's perfectly normal you have something you need to deal with and you need closure on or healing on or processing with you have to deal with that in your own time in your own way and um, when you do maybe that little compartmentalized event that happened in your life those memories those feelings those emotions will become resolved but if they're not seeping into other areas of your life where you just look for something to complain about then I don't necessarily see that as a chronic complainer. I see that as a person who's compartmentalized events that happened in their life that they still need closure or healing on. And that's okay. That's stuff that we all deal with. If you're upset with somebody in your family, you're upset with that family member. But you don't complain about mundane things because you're upset about that family member. On the flip side, there are people that do there are people that are angry about one thing and then complain about everything else I'm just kinda of making a differentiation there so that uh, when you find people that complain about a certain subject matter that doesn't mean they're a chronic complainer that just might mean they need closure there The question is are they willing to heal and get closure around that subject are they willing to do that because if they are then that's their next step and that's great they're probably somebody who is into self-improvement and personal growth and development and wanting to create a better life for themselves and they know that working on themselves and healing old traumas or old issues that they haven't healed or resolved is a path to becoming a better version of themselves so if they are willing to work on that great but if they're not now we come back to the possibility that they are a chronic complainer or have a victim mentality and this leads to an, a message that I received a while back that this person wrote um, I was listening to an episode called dealing with the victim mentality that was the one I referred to earlier and I could relate to each and every word you applied to describe the person that does that as you said in your episode there are chronic complainers who keep themselves in a victimized state that is a complete definition about me unfortunately and I am determined to change that in me if there were a way 
I am thankful for your help and consideration and for being an inspiration for me to change myself. Well, thank you for sharing that. The person who wrote, I appreciate you. And I am so glad that you admitted this about yourself because what you just wrote to me, what you said in this message is not someone who's complaining. It's someone who discovered something about themselves and wants to change it. It's like the opposite of complaining. Complaining is, there's nothing I can do or want to do about this. I'm just going to gripe. I mean, there's all kinds of reasons we complain, but that's one of them. And this is the opposite. This message is this person saying, I'm a person who has this victim mentality, and I don't really like it. I, I realize this is who I am, and I'd like to change it. I would like you to change it, too. I mean, if it's a problem in your life. This is where I go, is that if it's not a problem in your life, then you don't necessarily have to try to change it. This may seem strange, but there are people that are okay complaining. <laughs> there are people okay being opinionated. And as long as you're not losing friends and family and you have wonderful relationships and nobody considers you toxic or you don't consider yourself toxic, then maybe you shouldn't change it. Maybe that's who you are and that's the way people like you. And if it is, great. Don't change what works. In my experience and the people I've worked with, the more of a chronic complainer you are, the more likely you will not have as many close connections as you want. Only because when people are together, they usually want to enjoy time with each other. Now, you could have two chronic complainers who say, oh, yeah, this person in politics, oh, that person is a jerk, and he's a liar, and she's this, and he's that. You could absolutely have two people that feed off each other, and they get energized by it, and it makes them happy, and they enjoy it, and they meet every Sunday at a coffee shop, and they love it. <laughs> they could go through that and have the greatest friendship. And if that's the case, if it works, don't change it. But if you do notice any relationship issues when people seem to distance themselves from you or not want to get as close as you'd like or maybe they complain about your complaining then it's time to look at it and this person who wrote is looking at it I don't know why or how it came up but obviously they recognized it in themselves and so as a quick answer to this person who wrote the question they're asking in a way is I'm determined to change it in me if there were a way. It wasn't really a question, but I'm going to give you my thought on this, my quick answer, which is asking yourself the following question. So what am I going to do about it? That's it. When you complain about something, ask yourself, so what am I going to do about it? Now, the automatic response for the person with the victim mentality is to say, I can't do anything about it. So my follow-up is what? <laughs> my follow-up question is, then why waste energy complaining about it? And they're going to say, because it's a problem and it needs to be discussed and people need to be in the know. And if I get enough people riled up around me, we can rally together and maybe change what's happening. Yeah, that's possible, 
But what are you doing about it besides complaining? Are you physically rallying people up? Hey, let's go do this. Let's get together and make a statement or make a stand. I'm not saying that you should do this or you have to do this. All I'm saying is that if you find yourself in this position, because if you tried this with somebody else, it may not work, but you could try it. You, you tell me how it went. And actually, I've tried this before and it can work when you say, what are you going to do about it? Try it on yourself. When you hear yourself complaining, ask yourself, all right, so what am I going to do about it? Or this is what I like to do. I like to talk to myself as if I'm not me and ask myself in a way that sounds like somebody else is asking me. So I will ask the question, so what are you going to do about it? Paul, (laughs) what are you going to do about it? You're complaining and it bothers you. So what are you going to do about it? That forces you, or me in this case, to think of an action step. It forces me to think of the next step for me. You know, I was talking about steps earlier. The next step. What is my next step? I have to take the first step. In order to take the first step, I need to compel me to take that step by challenging me about what I'm complaining about. Now, there may not be an answer. There may be no action step. But I think it's still important to ask that question. For example, if I said, oh, my stepfather is such a jerk and he drinks and he bothers me and he's aggressive and he's sending all this money overseas and he's not giving it to his own kids and he's just, oh, he's just so awful. If I complained about that a lot and I asked myself the question, so Paul, what are you going to do about it? The first answer I'm going to say, well, there's nothing I can do, but I can't change him. I can't change who he is. I can't change where he sends his money. But it just bothers me. Paul, (laughs) what are you going to do about it? There's nothing I can do about it. Then why do you keep complaining about it? Because it, it bothers me. Yes, but if it bothers you, then do something about it. There's nothing I can do. Okay, there's nothing you can do about him. There's nothing you can do about what he's doing with his money or what decisions he makes with his life. So the next question that comes up for me is, what are you going to do about the feelings you have about him? The feelings I have, what are you talking about? I'm angry and I'm ah, frustrated and irritated. Okay, what are you going to do about that frustration? I don't know what to do. There's nothing I can do because he still exists and he's still making those decisions. So the next question I would come up with is, and I'm kind of doing this on the fly, uh, are you going to carry around this frustration forever? And now I have to consider how long I'm going to choose to have these thoughts and feelings. Because I may have been thinking and feeling this for many years. But now I'm forcing myself to consider things that maybe there could be an end date to this. I'm considering the possibility of stopping these thoughts and feelings. Are you going to carry these thoughts and feelings around forever? And I could be indignant and say, well, yes, I'm going to carry these feelings around forever because as long as he's alive and as long as he's doing this stuff, I'm going to feel this way and I'm going to stay this way. Now, that's a choice, but boy, that 
sounds terrible. That sounds like a terrible way to live. It sounds like he has control over you, Paul. It sounds like he is calling the shots and he's not even in your life. How can you let someone have such control over you? Now I'm really challenging myself. I'm really pushing myself into a corner because I don't really want to have these feelings all my life. I don't enjoy feeling frustrated and irritated and angry. I would rather not have to think about him. And I might ask myself, so when are you going to stop thinking about him? Yeah, but he bothers me. He bothers me. When are you going to work on letting things go? When are you going to work on yourself regarding this issue instead of the situation or the person? When are you going to deal with your frustration and your irritation and your anger? But those things still exist. He exists. What do I do about that? Well, what's in your control? I mean, we've all heard these questions before. You can't control anything outside of your control. (laughs) You probably never heard it like that, but that works for me. You can't control anything outside of your control. What can you control? Well, I can control what I do with my hands. I can control what I do with my legs. I can even control who I choose to think about and what I choose to think of. Well, that's, that's a good start. Yeah, but when I think of him, it makes me angry. Why do you think of him? What keeps you going back there? Why do you keep going back to this place that gets you so frustrated, so angry? And now I'm starting to drill in or drill down into these thoughts and feelings I have about being a victim and uh, how it really affects me and what's underneath what's causing all this frustration and irritation and getting into the deeper thoughts and feelings and maybe even an origin for all of this. And the origin is where things start to fall apart a little bit in a good way, meaning you have a tight grasp on what you're complaining about. But imagine if what you were grasping onto fell apart and you didn't have a solid grasp on it anymore. Well, that would mean what I was holding onto so tightly, if it disintegrated in my hands, then I couldn't point the blame at what I was holding onto. Because that's what's happening in the victim mentality is that we're pointing the blame at what we're holding onto so tightly. And as long as my stepfather is alive in this example, I mean, I've healed from all this, but I went through something like this. As long as he's alive in my example here, then I will always feel those thoughts and feelings. Meaning, my comfort, my peace, and my happiness are all determined by someone else's existence on this earth. If you want to look at it that way, but this is how I would look at it for this purpose. And as long as somebody else exists in your life and you base the level of comfort and peace and happiness that you want to experience, as long as you base it on something outside of you, you will never reach the level that you want to reach because they may still exist. And even if they die, even if they disappear, even if they just get out of your life altogether, the likelihood that you'll find closure is slim. Because now you have a lot of unspoken things that are bouncing around inside your head. I always wanted to say how angry I was with him. I always wanted to just tell him that he's so awful and how awful he treated my mom and my sisters. And I just wanted to let him know all this stuff. And I still hold on to that to this day. 
This is why it's so important to focus on yourself and work on yourself and work on your healing around the emotions and thoughts that you have and not focus on someone else that you've put in control of your level of comfort, peace, and happiness. Because as soon as you focus on them and wait for them to change or wait for them to apologize to you or wait for them to do something that they'll probably never do, you'll never be at the level of peace, comfort, and happiness that you want. And that's why I asked the question, why are you wasting your time complaining on somebody or something that will never change? Because you will spend a lifetime feeling the way you do now. And that's why I love the question, so what are you going to do about it? Sometimes you have to ask yourself that question. Sometimes you have to challenge yourself. There are people that I've asked that question to and they just look away. (laughs) They would rather have the attention they get from complaining than fix what they're complaining about. Somebody's complaining about uh, how their car is always dirty. Minor example. My car is always dirty. As soon as I wash it, it's dirty again. I don't know why I bother. So what are you going to do about it? There's nothing I can do about it. Really? You, You can't think of anything at all that you can do about it. What do you mean? I leave the car wash and it gets dirty right away. All right, so why waste time complaining about it? Ah, get out of here. (laughs) You don't understand. You don't, whatever. You know what I mean. Because sometimes people do want to complain and just complain and just complain again. And that's fine. That's who they are. If they have friends and family and they're okay and they've found a way to be happy in their own life, great. More power to them. I'm not usually around chronic complainers too much. And if I am, I like to challenge them. I like to make them think in a different way. In fact, um, there's something I usually say. I'll usually say, oh, my God, what would you do about it? (laughs) Instead of saying, what are you going to do about it? I'll make it more conversational. Oh, my God, when that happened, what did you do? Well, I, I, I didn't do anything. Are you kidding me? You didn't go into his office and tell him that he's being disrespectful? Well, no, I I didn't, but, you know, he was being disrespectful. Oh, my God, I would have gone right into his office and said how disrespectful he was being. I like to give people action steps, and I usually tell them what I would do. And it is a little sneaky. (laughs) It's a little sneaky to tell people what to do in a way that I would do it. Meaning, oh, yeah, I would have gone into his office and said this. Instead of telling them what to do, instead of saying, you need to do this, I would say, oh, if that were me, I would do this and see where they go with it. They may not get anything from it. They may see what you're trying to do. Probably not. But the chronic complainer, the person with the victim mentality, doesn't want the answer. They don't want the solution. They just want to complain. They want to feel good in their righteousness. They want to feel that power that comes or the attention they get when they complain. And if this is you... What are you going to do about it? You may say, there's nothing I can do about it. So I'm not here to challenge you on that. I'm here to ask you to challenge yourself on that and to ask yourself, how much more time are you going to waste complaining about things that you A, can't or won't change and B, expect to change? Because if you're waiting for someone else to change or something to happen, You spend most of your life waiting. So there's segment two of this email grab bag episode. 
during the outro of the show coming up next I'm going to read another message and we'll see what it is and we'll see where we go with it I appreciate you stopping by I'm going to come back and say my thank yous and my goodbyes and we'll read that final message right after this Thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. I want to thank our sponsors today, Uprising and BetterHelp. If you want a superfood that tastes super good and helps you retrain your palate to start craving healthier foods, go to uprisingfood.com forward slash brain and get $10 off your first purchase of the starter bundle. And go to betterhelp.com forward slash brain, take charge of your mental health and get 10% off your first month two great companies that I love to share with you. I also want to thank our financial backers today. These are the patrons and financial donors that give to the show. Carol, Brad, Jessica, Jamie, Holly, Crystal, Angel, Michelle, Angela, and Jillian. There's so many more, but I read a few every week and I am so grateful for each and every one of you. Thank you, patrons. Thank you, donors. I appreciate all of you. If you find value in this show and you'd like to give back, Head over to moretob.com and you can choose to give a single donation or a monthly donation. If you're a monthly contributor in the patron program, I give back with private episodes, worksheets, and a video archive. Check it out over at moretob.com. Thank you again. I also want to mention my other podcast, Love and Abuse, over at loveandabuse.com. You know, a good 90% of messages that I get to the overwhelmed brain are about relationships and um, I talk about nothing but relationships over there especially toxic ones or manipulative ones and plain old difficult ones go to loveandabuse.com if you're dealing with any relationship issues with family or friend or romantic partner love and abuse is the podcast to tune into if you're dealing with any of that and finally thanks to Kevin McLeod of incompetech.com for some of the music transitions in the overwhelmed brain And speaking of relationships, I'm going to read you one more message that I received uh, recently regarding a relationship that was going great. It was going great until she found out something he was doing. And then it changed everything. And I'm going to reveal what that is right now. She says, I came across your podcast. I found it amazing. I have been with my partner for many years. I thought we had a strong relationship. We were best friends and we would laugh all the time. We had full respect. We didn't argue, but we would agree to disagree from time to time until some huge issues arose that we can't get through. My partner was pretty obsessed with pornography. I hated it, but I tried to accept it because he wasn't depriving me. I thought our strong sexual connection was our own connection and desire, and I was also extremely emotionally invested sexually as well as emotional connection outside the bedroom. Last year, I called him a creep, because I was concerned with the porn being too much and it was coming between us. After that day, he stopped touching me and talking to me in ways that we used to in our relationship for many years. After digging deeply to find the core issues, I discovered, and I am 100% sure, he was emotionally neglected as a child. It's not that he was not shown love. It was the important emotional way that was missed as a child who is in an extremely vulnerable state. There was also some sexual trauma when he was younger with another child, and I believe that also has something to do with his adult dysfunctions. 
It has been a year and a half, and I don't know how much more avoiding I can handle. He can't have an emotional connection. He can't handle conflict. We can't even talk about our relationship. We've been in therapy, and I think it's the wrong therapist. I'm dying inside faster by the day. I'm forced to suppress my feelings and my own healthy sexual intimacy and desires because my partner has pulled away and has no desire for me at all. He says he wants to fix this, but I don't know if we need a trauma therapist or we just need to walk away. I'm so confused with trying to understand how he had so much sexual desire for me up until I called him out on the obsessive pornography. I feel used, unloved, and unwanted. I feel our values and beliefs are not in line, and I wanted to marry him but he doesn't want to marry me. Do you have any podcast that relates to my relationship issue? All right. I read that whole thing. I was going to read parts of it, but I wanted to read that whole thing because I wanted to give you my thoughts regarding this, especially some of the things that she said here. First of all, I'm sorry you're going through this challenge. I appreciate you sharing this. Thank you so much. It is very difficult, especially when you have a misalignment in your values. And you said that here, you know, maybe our values and beliefs, or you said, I feel our values and beliefs are not in alignment or in line. And I agree. You have values regarding pornography, and he has values, I'm sure, as well. And his values don't discount pornography. And um, this kind of question I'll get every now and then, maybe once every six months, once a year, saying, so-and-so is obsessed with pornography, now our relationship is on the rocks or we can't communicate or everything that you said here. And I'm going to give you some thoughts that um, you may not like. You may not agree with. You probably won't agree with. But I'm going to tell you my thoughts. First, I'll start with a question. If you never found out about what he did in his private time by himself, if you never found that out, would you have had a great relationship? Let's just say 20, 30, 40 years goes by. You get married. You're happy. You have kids if you want to do that. Uh, you're living in the house with a white picket fence. And you got everything you wanted and you never found out. Would you be happy? I believe I know what your answer is. Well, if I didn't know about it, I would be happy. Okay, well, let's just pretend that you said that. And maybe it's hard for you to get there because now that you know, you, you can't think of a life like that. But let's just put it out there. Let's just say that you're, you're senior citizens now. You're holding hands on your porch swing and you're just enjoying retirement and you never found out. You're probably happy because everything that you said sounds like a healthy relationship. You talked about things, you connected, you had a good sex life. All of this stuff sounds great. And if you never found out, it'd probably still be great. So I presented that to you because I want you to imagine that you are in your 80s or 90s and you've had a great relationship and now he says, I have something I want to admit to you. I was obsessed with pornography for the last 40, 50 years. Does it matter now? Do you look back at the 40 or 50 or however, however long you've been together and say to yourself, oh my God, all those years, all those years I feel betrayed. I feel like uh, he never really had an interest in me, that it was always about someone else. Our values are out of alignment and everything we went through was a sham. Do you go there? 
I really want you to consider this because this is sort of where I'm going with you is if you didn't know and everything is working and everything is good if it's not broken don't fix it kind of thing if it's all wonderful would it matter you know there are people listening right now that say well of course it matters because it's pornography and a lot of people do have a problem with pornography a lot of people know it's exploitative and it um, amplifies the sex trade and I mean there's all kinds of things that stem from pornography that are not good in fact they're very very bad at the same time there are some consensual adults that create porn and get paid for it and do their job and and they're living life and everything's fine and they're part of a bigger industry that also contains some toxic elements I'm not here to tell you porn is good or bad I'm not here to tell you porn is moral or immoral I'm not here to tell you that you should or shouldn't watch it or you should or shouldn't ban it or anything. I'm not here to go in that direction. All I care about right in this moment is this question, this person's challenge. And I am challenging her with the thought that if she had a fantastic marriage for the last half of her life and then she found out that he watched porn that whole time, would she think her entire marriage was a sham or based on some false premise that she was the only person that ever turned him on or the only, you know, of course, there's going to be all kinds of thoughts. I'm putting them in your head right now. The, I'm not the only person that turned you on. That thought's going to go through her head. It probably is going through her head right now because this is what she asked. And so that's my first and second challenge to you. If you never found out, would you still be happy today? My thought is probably yes. If you uh, never found out until you were 80 or 90 and you had a wonderful life, would it ruin the entire relationship? It might. Some people do that. Some people find something out later on and it turns out to be an issue. But would it ruin the relationship? She might think yes, because some people think pornography is cheating. Some people think when their partner is watching other naked bodies or seeing sexual acts that they are cheating and I'm not going to question that either I'm not going to tell you what to think all I'm doing is challenging something that had been working and there was an activity that your partner was doing that you yourself had a values issue with and maybe a morality issue too and maybe um, a relationship boundary issue. Yes, there, there are all kinds of issues that can come up because somebody is doing something that you have a serious problem with. And so when that challenge comes up, you have an opportunity to ask yourself, is this bad enough to be critical and judgmental about the person that I'm with, especially when 99% of it was wonderful? 99% of, of this is wonderful and the 1% that you happen to discover that if it was never discovered you would have been fine now she may be treating this which some people do as a betrayal and this is where it really gets you if you believe it's a betrayal it's a values violation yes and it's maybe a moral violation but if you believe it's a betrayal like he is sexting with somebody or having an emotional affair or even a physical affair with somebody else and you clump pornography into that same category 
now we have a bigger challenge inside of you because this may reveal something inside of you that might either need to be addressed or taken action on. So let's just say that you do consider this a betrayal. Why? Again, not trying to push this as moral or immoral or bad or good or wrong or right. I'm just asking why. Why do you consider it a betrayal? So now I have to have a conversation with myself because you're not here, but let's just say I'm pretending to be you because he's looking at other naked bodies. He's looking at other women or maybe men too or other things. He's looking at naked bodies, looking at sex. He's looking at other people having sex. How is that a bad thing? Paul, that's not right. That's voyeurism. You shouldn't do that. I'm, I'm just asking. <laughs> I'm just throwing these questions at you. This isn't about my thoughts on it, my judgments, my morals. This is about you. How is it a problem that he sees another person having sex? Well, he's getting sexually activated. He's getting sexually engaged. Okay, so when he's sexually activated, does he go somewhere and have sex with somebody? Well, no, he takes it to our bedroom and our sex life was great. Okay, so when he becomes sexually activated, he chooses you as the person to have a sexual relationship with. Well, yes, but that's not what I'm worried about. I'm worried that he's having all these thoughts about other women or other people in his mind and it really bothers me. And I could dig even further in here, but my point about challenging this in you is to ask yourself, instead of focusing on him and what he's doing, I believe it's very important to focus on yourself and your specific issue with pornography. Your specific issue, not his. Because you keep saying he was obsessed and maybe he used those words and uh, if he didn't, then it's your words about him being obsessed. But maybe he is. Who knows? Uh, he, you also said that uh, you dug a little bit and found out that he was traumatized or neglected and he had some sexual issue when he was a child. And absolutely, that could lead to a pornography addiction. That could lead to him wanting to find something in pornography that helps him with that. Or it could have nothing to do with it. But either way, and this is where I'm going with this, is that pornography is his issue, his challenge, if he thinks it's a challenge, his problem, if he thinks it's a problem, which it clearly is now because it affects his relationship, but did he have a problem with it? Was he addicted? Did it take away from you? And one of the first things that you said in your message was it did not take away from us. And that's where it really hit me. I know you probably don't want to hear this, but it really hit me there because it was sad to think that you had something so great and something that he kept to himself that never affected your relationship, yet when you found out, it became a problem in the relationship. And I'm not blaming you. I'm not saying now that you discovered it and you brought it up, it's your fault. It's not that at all. I'm not putting this on you because I realize this is a huge issue for a lot of people. But I'm asking you to consider other angles to this because your message was totally focused on him and what he needs to do and how you guys need to get therapy and maybe he needs to deal with therapy on his own or whatever it is. And now you're talking about missing all these wonderful years that are going to go by 
where you're not connecting anymore. And if you had never known about it, it would be completely different. You'd still be happy. And now that you do know about it, I want you to focus on yourself and ask yourself what the biggest problem you have with pornography in general. Not him looking at porn, with what you have about pornography in general. And get really clear on it. Get really clear and figure out where your thoughts about it came from. Because some people write to me and say, I, I don't like my partner looking at porn because he or she's looking at bodies and I will never be able to match those bodies. I will never be able to be those people. And you're probably right. You never ever will be those people. And still, he chose you. And still, he enjoys sex with you. He enjoys being with you. All those choices and he chooses you. Paul, that's not the same. It's not, he doesn't have access to those people. He could choose somebody else and he chooses you and he wants to live a life with you. And when you have somebody that is willing to go the distance with you and make their life about you, with you, pay attention to you, and their personal choice and what they do in their life isn't affecting the relationship until it is revealed and then talked about and then becomes an issue in therapy uh, before all of that it wasn't taking away from the relationship and so this is why I want you the person who wrote to focus on what your real problem is with porn not what his problem is with porn I need you to get clear on why it's a problem for you so much that you become convinced that it's either a problem that is unacceptable or acceptable I hope you know what I mean. Meaning, you get to the point where you are so convinced that it's either acceptable, you may not like it, but it can be acceptable, or completely unacceptable. Because once you get clear on if you find it acceptable or not, what are you going to do about it? That's my question from the last segment. What are you going to do about it? Are you going to continue seeing this as a problem, or are you going to accept it even though you don't like it? And I want you to see the big picture. Because if the relationship was great and he did this stuff on his own and he didn't take away from the relationship, maybe the relationship was enhanced by something that you loathe. <laughs> maybe you hate it so much, but it was enhanced and helped him connect with you in ways that made you uncomfortable now that you know, but before it was amazing. Before you felt great. And maybe you see porn differently than him. And maybe your next conversation with him isn't critical about him watching porn, but is inquisitive. It is curious. It is a place of wanting to understand because you're fascinated, not disgusted. And maybe you can get to a place where you realize the bigger picture is an amazing relationship where he feels free to be himself and perhaps pornography or whatever it is makes him feel free in a way that makes him feel connected to himself or connected to you even though you can't see it you might not be able to see that at all and it might disgust you to the point where you just can't take it no matter what and if that's the case if you know you can't accept it and your relationship is terrible right now or at least having big problems 
then you need to decide what's right for you because you have somebody that clearly was a different person when he was watching porn. This is a very tough issue. It is a morality issue for some people. It is a social problem for some people. It is a betrayal problem for some people. There are a lot of angles to look at this, and I wanted to make sure that you were clear on how you have an issue with it, and also to be careful not to make our issues with things other people's issues, because I did this for a long time. I made my partners in my life, even my wife when I was married, her issues were my issues. My wife had an emotional eating issue. She would eat sweets and junk food all the time, and I would be hurt by it, and I would make her problems with it my problems. And our relationship went downhill, and it just got worse and worse until we got a divorce. And after we separated and during the divorce, I finally realized that I was making her problems mine. That was her problem. That was her issue, even though I had a problem with it. But was it worth making her problem my problem and a relationship problem? And that's my final question to you. Is his activity in his own time a big enough problem to change or even end the relationship, especially when you know what you could have? It's a big challenge, and this is all I can tell you. These are my thoughts, my opinions, and I'm sure many people disagree and will say porn is bad. Get it out of the relationship. A lot of people are going to say that, and I'm not saying you shouldn't feel that way. I'm just asking you to consider everything before you throw something away that sounded like a dream come true for a lot of people. I hope you do have a wonderful relationship. I hope you're able to heal through this. I wish you much strength and resilience as you get through this, hopefully together. I wish you both the best and I wish you the best. The person listening that didn't write this message, thank you so much for listening to another episode and I want to remind you always keep an open mind because this is what helps you step into your power so that you can create the life you want. Always take steps to grow and evolve. You are powerful beyond measure. And above all, and this is something I absolutely know to be true about you, you are amazing. Amazing.